this is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Politically Homeless for you today. It's been a weird week. Been a weird week in the news. Been a weird week for me. But uh, it's just chaotic. Just a chaotic week all over the fucking place. Absolutely all over the place. You know who's having a great week right now, though? It's Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is having a fantastic week. Because uh, as it turns out, you know, you could shoot people who are pointing guns at you. <laughs> I mean, this is... It, we're not going to cover this as a segment. And then you, you may notice a trend here where I don't really cover things in segments when I feel like when I'm not a legal scholar. So uh, my my takes there are going to be purely opinionated. So we can might as well throw them in the in the pre-show, in the pre-show monologue or whatever the fuck this is. You know, but I think when I look at it, Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old with an AR, probably shouldn't have been there. Probably shouldn't have been there. Um, and also, literally everyone that he shot also, shouldn't have been there. Should not. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Now, of course, we saw this LeBron James making fun of the kid, LeBron James making fun of this kid crying on the stand. Let's just put this in perspective, and this is going to get a little gruesome, but let's just put it in perspective because I think this is important. If someone broke into my house, okay? Pretty clear-cut rules on how that goes here in the state of Colorado and most states, uh, standard ground states. If someone broke into my house and was, say, let's say, threatening me with a gun or a knife or some other kind of weapon, right? And I'm strapped. I stay strapped. We got guns all over the place. Okay? Not a good house to break into. But if it were to happen, okay, and I were to put that dude's brains all over my wall, I don't want to do that. I have zero, I don't find joy in that. I don't want the NRA to post about me and say that I'm a fucking hero for ending someone's life that was trying to rob me. I don't understand the circumstances that led them to breaking into my house in the first place or what happened. I don't find joy in that. It's one of the reasons that I'm disgusted with the NRA. It's like somebody was breaking into a car and this old man shot him in the face. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, (laughs) I'm sure there's more to the story than that, but okay. Shooting people, ending lives, is not a joke. A 17-year-old, and I said this back at the, at the time this happened. I could probably find it in the show somewhere if I really dug deep enough. A 17-year-old shooting people in that kind of scenario is going to be incredibly traumatic. I don't, know, I don't know the kid, but I would just assume that most kids, and he's a kid, don't get me wrong, most kids... um aren't going to handle or cope with shooting people in the street or having guns pointed at their face and like watching the still and seeing the still photos of this guy with a handgun pointed at Kyle Rittenhouse that when Kyle Rittenhouse shot him in the bicep and just blew his arm in half, like, yeah, dude. Like, maybe don't try and pull an AR out of somebody's hands in a, in a riot situation. And this kid's going to get acquitted. I mean, he should probably face some kind of... He's, he was too young to have that weapon... There's probably some kind of uh, firearm possession charges that he would get that he might hand, have to deal with, but at the end of the day, this kid's getting acquitted. The prosecution is trash. The defense has done a pretty great job from what I've seen. Again, I'm not a legal scholar, 
But we got to understand, like, this kid is going to have a hard time. He's going to have a very hard time. And none of these fucking people should have been there. It was all stupid. It was a fucking stupid game. You know, and, and, and who, who gets off on these, on these, these riots and killing and burning shit down? Like who gets off on that? I don't even know if the people doing it know what the fuck they're doing. It's strange. And when this kid gets acquitted, there's probably going to be some more of that. Are you going to have the cops stand down then too? We haven't, then we'll have another Kyle Rittenhouse and in six months we'll have another trial. Fucking weird, man. Fucking weird. But, I mean, it is what it is. I just don't think ending lives should be taken lightly. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kyle Rittenhouse is a sociopath or a psychopath. I don't know. Maybe he's the same as the Columbine shooters. I don't know. I don't know the kid. But you know who else doesn't know the kid? Anybody listening to this fucking podcast, probably. Or anybody who has a goddamn opinion about it. But he's championed by one side and villainized by the other. Blah, 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 blah. Same fucking bullshit. Same fucking bullshit, man. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It is. It's so predictable. I so understand. I just and maybe because I've had a long week and it's been crazy and hectic and maybe I'm just at my wits' end. But is it just are people just inability have an inability to embrace nuance? Like, yeah, what he did was probably legal technically, and it was a shit show, but probably shouldn't have been there. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. But also, if I'm a seven, I mean, I did stupid shit when I was 17. I pulled out a baseball bat on a guy when I was 17. Didn't hit him with it, but it was there. You know, that could have gone crazy. I mean, it was... You're an idiot. You've got more testosterone than you know what to do with. And you think you have a hero complex and you don't understand that like life is a precious thing. That's why they, those kids sign up for the fucking military and then come back all fucked to get ignored by the federal government. So I, 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 I really align with Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee on this. Like, hey man, like, I just, I don't want to pick a side here. There's no winning side here. There is no side, in my opinion. Like, there's a side that might get acquitted. It's likely to get acquitted. There's no good side here. You siding with rioters. You siding with a kid who thought he was going to go out and be a vigilante and, and and protect small businesses. Which, I mean, if I had to pick a side based on intentions, I'd say these these you know, mostly overweight gun nuts who think they're going to protect small businesses probably have the best intentions. You know, it doesn't seem like they're trying to get out here and burn things down and, and, and steal Nikes. I don't know. It's just, and looking back, even looking back on that time, that was really when this show got started. I mean, it, it was a whirlwind. And I think sometimes we, we just move on and things have been so chaotic and just kind of keep staying crazy and we're in this kind of like fear porn cycle that it's hard to even understand or remember, or really like reminisce and, and reflect on how crazy that was. I mean, you go to any major city, you go to the Capitol buildings, busted windows, spray paint everywhere. I was down here at the Capitol in, in, in Denver and just like destroyed. 
destroyed. I mean, wild stuff. And then you got cops acting like pieces of shit, and you got other people acting like pieces of shit, burning down Jack in the Box. Like, it was it wasn't. A, it's like I back the blue. I you know Black Lives Matter. Like I'm like fuck both of you guys. Like there's more to the story than what you're letting on or letting yourself believe. Maybe maybe that's what it is. And of course, it's via confirmation bias and having that lens on your reality. You filter out the things that are inconvenient truths, right? We always do that. Everybody's guilty of it. I mean, there's no innocent party here. With a little bit of mindfulness, you can like adjust your filter a little bit, but it's never going to be perfect. Because we want to believe what we want to believe. And that's the reality. You know, we got this new University of Austin. I haven't looked at this too much. Barry Weiss and... And the like her little squad, like the inter- intellectual dark web, going to create a a University of Austin, not to be confused with the University of Texas at Austin, and not to be confused with the University of Phoenix. Um, very different things, very different things. But curious to see how that goes. There, uh, uh, that you're going to major in the relentless pursuit of truth and justice. What's happening right now with the word truth is that it's being just raped to death. The word truth in about six months will mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. We got truth social, and you can retruth. You can read, instead of retweet, it's retruth. That's the dumbest branding I've ever heard in my life. It's like if Trump's not putting his name on something, <laughs> it's like the branding outside of just Trump in general, which is a given, is terrible. It's terrible. Truth social, but it's worth a billion dollars now. That's interesting. That's a lot of stuff. But University of Austin could be cool. I mean, getting accredited will be a, a kind of a nightmare for them. But you got a bunch of like really well known, resilient people that are pretty steadfast. So the Weinstein's and or Weinstein's, excuse me, um, Barry Weiss, like I said, some other guys. It's gonna be really interesting. And then Shapiro was on Rogan's podcast. Uh, Listen to that today. I was really hoping there'd be something in there that was of note, but it was really this just like. It was basically two hours of them stroking each other off on meritocracy, which is fun to listen to. And there was a little bit of back and forth, but I think the, everything is so crazy now that they align so much on so many things based on just the sheer madness of our world that there wasn't a lot of room for pushback there because I do enjoy those two going back and forth. I clearly align more with Rogan politically, um, but I think Shapiro's a smart guy and it was nice to hear a little bit. I kind of assumed he lived in like a gated community and, you know, played the violin or whatever, because we've seen those videos floating around, but apparently that wasn't really the case for him. And I, that I do, he earns a little bit more respect in my book based on that. Unlike a character like Charlie Kirk, who did grow up in a gated community in, in, uh, in Chicago or outside of Chicago. It's a weird time. It is a weird time. I'm over here sipping on liquid death. So if you hear me, any, any pauses or gulping, if you're one of those people, what is that called? I forget what that's called. But people are like weird with mouth noises. I mean, there's so many things you can't do sexually if you like get grossed out by mouth noises. I feel like weird noises coming from your mouth in various parts of the body are about a third of a any quality sexual experience. Huh. Maybe that's a topic for my other podcast. Or maybe it's a topic for the Patreon, which if you're not on the Patreon, here's how it works. And I'm pushing this hard, guys. I really am. Because... One of the reasons this show is coming out on Thursday and not Tuesday is because I had to do things for the job that pays me. And there was a lot uh, there was a lot going on with that this this week and I was around for that. Soul Fire Productions 
great for any podcaster out there looking to get your production needs met. We got you. <clears throat> but it was a busy day, busy week. So I got I to gotta get paid, right? And I make a little money from the Patreon, a little money from ads here and there. But the more money I'm making the Patreon, the more I can tell everybody else to fuck off. And that's really what it's about. One, I essentially become a servant to you. You get to choose what I talk about once a week. I mean, I think the Patreon episode this week might be at least an hour and a half. There's like some bomb questions in there for this week. But it's sourced from the Patreon for the Patreon, talking about whatever you guys want to talk about. We can talk about politics. We can talk about culture war. We can talk about sex, drugs, rock and roll. I don't care. If you don't know this about me, I do have, I would consider it a substantial amount of psychedelic experience. Sometimes that's interesting to talk about. Sometimes it's fun to talk about it. I used to talk about it more than I really wanted to. But now, since I don't much, it's fun. We can get to that weird shit in there, you know? But it's fun to be at service for the people that are paying you. Having a job, you know? And the more we can do in the Patreon, the more I can do with this show. Which is great. It feels great. So go to patreon.com slash politically homeless. Check it out. Jump in there. You get discounts on merch. You get early access to stuff. Once we get over 100 patrons, we're going to do some more things. Going to do some live calls. And we are doing a thing. So... If you don't know, I will be launching a second podcast coming up pretty soon in 2022 called Thought, Thought Criminals. It's going to be fun. We're just going to have conversations. I'm probably going to have a lot of conversations across the aisle because, as most of you know, I do reside on the left side of the political spectrum, but I do have a lot of conservative friends. So being able to have those kind of conversations I think is really fun. And I'm going to try to figure out a way that you guys can be a live audience within those podcasts. No promises yet, but we're doing our best to make that happen. Could be really fun. Really excited about it. Super fun shit. So we're just doing the things, but the more people that are, that are in there, the more we can do, the more merch we can make, the more premium shit I can give you guys. And if you join, you do get a few decals in the mail. You get a little gift from me to you, and I just sprinkle a little bit of love on those decals too. You throw them on your laptop, throw them on your car, whatever it is. Makes it worth it. Try it out for a month. See what's up. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Okay. Okay, I think it's time to get into it, y'all. Whoa, 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 whoa. I forgot. Justin, Kathleen, you sexy motherfuckers. Justin and Kathleen joined the Patreon this week. Thank you guys so much for joining. Stoked to have you there. Now, with all that being said, it's time for the state of things. We got some fun stuff to talk about this week. Kind of a little more vague than usual, but I don't choose the news, guys. I just call them like I see them. So as we saw in Virginia, things are not going well for the Democrats. Not looking good. Not looking peachy at all. Kind of seems like a hot damn mess to me. So as we, you know, we saw what happened in Virginia. We saw what happened in New Jersey. We're seeing more things happen. We're seeing the, the, the beginnings of the red tsunami that we will see in 2022. So... I think, well, you know, what are, the, what are the Democrats planning here? What do they have? What, are the, what tricks do they have up their sleeve? Maybe they do. Maybe they'll surprise me. And then we have this from the Business Insider. Let's check this shit out, guys. This is hilarious. Kamala World frets about 2024 because you know, if you are the vice president, you're kind of the shoe in to be the nominee if 
the current president either turns out or decides not to run. So we would think, you know, Kamo is the is the heir apparent of the Democratic Party. Which is a complete joke because <laughs> the only person in this country has worse approval ratings than Joe Biden was Kamala Harris, 28%. <laughs> her approval rating is at her just put this in perspective. Kamala Harris's approval rating is lower than Dick Cheney's in the second Bush term. Okay? A war criminal, a lying, corrupt war criminal had a better approval rating than Kamala Harris does right now. Innocent civilians in the Middle East and men and women in the military for the America for America and our allies were dying. And Kamala Harris has a worse approval rating than Dick Cheney at that time. Let's keep that in perspective. So here we go. Here's what we're thinking about, says the Business Insider. Kamala World is worried about a difficult, messy Democratic primary if it's Harris versus Buttigieg in 2024. Senators worry about who else an unnamed senator might have sexually abused. <laughs> Biden releases slim down 1.5, blah, 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 blah. But what we're really focused on right here is these two, these two beautiful souls, Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, the new father. 2024 vision, the K-Hive is expecting a messy 2024 primary of President Joe Biden opts against running for re-election. People in Vice President Kamala Harris's orbit have taken note of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's rise, especially as Buttigieg supporters begin to plot their own 2024 plans. <laughs> this is just like so out of touch and ridiculous. Oh, here's what else former Harris staffers, fundraisers, and Democratic insiders are saying about 2024. Quote, I don't know if Secretary Buttigieg wants that smoke. That's a quote. I don't know if Secretary Buttigieg wants that smoke. Democratic strategists and Harris supporters are issuing a brushback uh, pitch to Buttigieg after Insider reported that some of his top fundraisers were musing that he'd be a better presidential candidate than Harris, which he would, even though he would still be terrible. People close to Buttigieg stress that he has nothing to do with the 2024 talk. People close to him and the vice president also stress that the two have become very friendly colleagues. The full quote, it would be messy. And honestly, I don't know if Secretary Buttigieg wants that smoke, given what ultimately limited his campaign in 2020. That is, it was viewed to be not diverse, not representative of a changing country. That is, what, that, that it was essentially viewed as a way station for disaffected white liberals. Though it's about race now, which it will just wait, just Fucking wait till 2024. You want to see the race card get played? Woo, it's going to get insane. Okay, so it's more of the same, more of that bullshit. So here's what we got. As of right now, what we're seeing and what this article lays out is that the establishment has chosen or is, is looking at, is really debating internally between Harris and Buttigieg. Okay, Harris, Kamala Harris, and Pete Buttigieg. So you have a soulless woman with a terrible track record, an atrocious record, but happens to check a few diversity boxes, and a small, white, gay, um, Obama-line dispenser. That's all it is. You notice the cadence of his speech, the kind of things he says. He mimics Obama in everything that he does. He's not as good because he's not as charismatic. He's not a real person. He's a, a robot. 
He's like, you know, in Westworld when they were like map people's brain neurons and things like that. He's like a, a stage one, like a beta version. If they did that with Obama and put it in a little white gay body, that's it. Now he also checks some boxes because he adopted some twins with a surrogate. Great, that's beautiful. I think that's one of the great, the best, th- the best thing about Pete Buttigieg is that they have a, a really pretty family, and I think that's great. Him and his husband, awesome. <coughs> but terrible politically. He got run over. He got run the fuck over. Whatever the Democrat, the Democrats, I mean, this happens sometimes, right? Especially when you have an incumbent president that's most likely to win. You just throw somebody out there that you're willing to put on the chopping block. I mean, unless that's what the Democrats are trying to do here and be like, hey, we're going to take an L right here. We need to reevaluate. So let's just throw these two up there and let them, let them flail around until they, you know, essentially, eventually just get destroyed. And just we'll be done with them then and we'll move on. I mean, that's the best thing. That, that's the best case scenario for running either one of these or both of them together. Right? Because if it's a Harris Buttigieg ticket, which is very likely to be the case, right? We know how much power the Democratic establishment has. The DNC, the RNC had this duopoly on debates. We're not going to see third party candidates in there until someone like a Trump, but actually with a pair of cojones that'll actually do what he says he's going to do or she says she's going to do, gets in and runs on dismantling that duopoly which would take a shit ton of grassroots sport. Until that happens, we're going to have to deal with Democrats and Republicans in this corrupt two-party system. So they're going to have a lot of sway, just like they did with Biden, which no one really wanted, but people settled for on the promise that things would go back to normal, which was the furthest from the truth and has become a complete shit show. So now we have the potential for Harris Buttigieg 2024, which honestly, at this point, I'm rooting for because there is absolutely no way I'm voting for any Democrat they're going to put up there. As someone left of center, I think many of us independents, right, which I'm aggressively independent, aggressively nonpartisan to the point of being anti-partisan. And I know many of you are too, because I hear what you guys are saying and you guys reach out to me and share what's up. There is so little chance that I will show up and vote for a Democrat in 2024 or 2022. The midterms are going to be a bloodbath. So maybe they'll realize in the midterms we have something national that this is not the move. But it tends to, the way this happens, and you see Obama in his speeches now, he does this. They don't blame themselves, they blame the voters, right? It's, oh, you guys didn't show up enough. You guys didn't turn out. Well, people don't fucking turn out because you don't deliver on what you promise. And right now you're pushing everybody to the right because you promised all this bullshit and you never fucking deliver and you always fucking lose. Even when you have the leverage, you lose. So why not? Why not just let the Republicans do the, whatever the fuck they do and just go on with ourselves? It's, 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 a, it's a symptom of defeat, really, for anybody who had any faith in these fucking assholes. So here we are. Right now we're looking at Kamala Harris... And Pete Buttigieg in 2024 as the front runners and the plan for the Democratic establishment. That's how, that's how in touch the Democratic establishment is with the American people. And that is just, I mean, that just says it all right there, doesn't it? Well, as we know, Rand Paul and Fauci have gone back and forth, back and forth, and it's been really entertaining to watch. There's been a lot of speculation, a lot of, uh, you know, dog piles on Rand Paul for being, um, misinformed or ignorant or, or not knowing what the hell he's talking about. Well, we had uh, Rand Paul versus Tony Fauci 
round three here, and I thought this was just amazing. So we're actually going to play this whole clip, which is one thing I know that a lot of shows like this don't do, but I do enjoy playing the full clips. We're going to do it on a couple different segments today just to kind of get a gauge on where things are at, but this in particular I thought was really interesting, and, and as this popped up, I saw this like four minutes after The Hill published it, and I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. So let's just dive right in here and just see what's going on with Rand Paul and Tony Fauci. Dr. Fauci, I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin, and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Yikes. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. Boom. The facts are clear. The NIH did fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan, despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfeldt of MIT has written, Gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford to risk. And yet here we are again with you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not found in nature could cause a pandemic even worse the next time. We're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1%. They're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 and 50%. Yeah. How is that not just absolutely terrifying to everyone? Knowing that the protocols are shit and they have viruses in those labs where 15% of people who contract them can die. That's insane. Yes, our civilization could be at risk from one of these viruses. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with known pandemic-causing viruses are incredibly risky. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with coronaviruses that have as much as 50% mortality could endanger civilization as we know it. And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain-of-function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. You mislead the public by saying that the published viruses could not be COVID. Well, exactly no one is alleging that. No one is alleging that the published viruses by the Chinese are COVID. What we are saying is that this was risky type of research, gain-of-function research. It was risky to share this with the, with the Chinese and that COVID may have been created from a not-yet-revealed virus. We don't anticipate the Chinese are going to reveal the virus if it came from their lab. You know that, but you continue to mislead. You continue to support NIH money going to Wuhan. You continue to say you trust the Chinese scientist. You appear to have learned nothing from this pandemic. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. Of course you gain, do. First of all, gain-of-function is a very nebulous term. We have spent not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern 
that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function from the NIH <laughs> website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time. But let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you I just want to say this real quick for everybody who's listening. Dude, Fauci in this video just looks so run down and defeated. I mean, it's been death by a thousand cuts with this guy. And you can't say he's not pretty steadfast in his beliefs, apparently, but damn. You have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality and that you do experiments to enhance that. Hence the word EPPP, enhanced pathogens of potemic, potential So when EcoHealth Alliance took the now, virus, well, SHC014 and combined it with WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework and guidelines... <laughs> According to the fake definition that we changed, no, it's not. So what a you're doing P3 is defining a way gain-of-function. <laughs> no. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you're, you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's, the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed the website right. to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But that's, the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in right. lethality. It's a right. new virus. Funny that's how that not works, gain huh? of function? According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, you know, Senator, the new let's one. make it clear for the people who this are This little fucking weasel, the dude. The current definition was done over a two to three year period <laughs> by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I have coincidentally not the definition any appeared definition. on the same day the NIH said that yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Th thank you, Colin. I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, th there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation <laughs> here, uh, Madam Chair, that I, I don't... Let's not forget that uh, Anthony Fauci is, is science, is the physical embodiment of science in the same way that Jesus is the physical embodiment of God. Well, allegedly. I don't believe that, but a lot of you do, so...
you know how it goes. I mean, that's that's really, I think that's really what this guy believes. It's very, very interesting. I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them. Of course you wouldn't. For the listens to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic. Okay, number Rand two. Also over this. You said the overwhelming amount of evidence indicates that's a lab leak. I believe most card-carrying viral phylogenists phy and molecular virologists would disagree with you that is much more likely, even though we leave open <laughs> all possibilities, it's that's much more likely joke. that this was a natural occurrence. Uh, good Third, thought. you say we We've can tested 80,000 animals and no animals Senator have been Paul, found with COVID. Senator Paul, the time is set for And third, you made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect, where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You proved it in August of last year. No, no, your statement says, quote, I wrote it down as you were writing. You continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You were in committee a month ago and said you still trust the Chinese scientists and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him He's going to be dishonest. Minute. He ought to be challenged. S Senator Paul, Ooh. we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci. Well, I don't have any more to say except to say that, as usual, and I've, I have a great deal of respect for this body of the Senate, and it makes me very uncomfortable to have to say something, but he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you. I mean, he history will figure that out on its own. As he said there, he finished up. I didn't mean to cut it off there. He says, history will figure that out on its own. Now, let's talk about this for a brief second. I mean, you guys can make your own mind up as to what you think about that. It's pretty clear what I think about that. He's a weasel, man. He's a weasel. He's a liar, and he's a weasel. Now, am I a virologist? Absolutely not. And that's what everybody, that's everybody's defense. I don't, but I can sit here and tell you when someone's full of shit. And when someone is, has a shitty grit on their face, like Rand Paul does, they know that they've got the high ground. And Rand Paul and many of us who have been singing this song, I mean, and this is the thing that's so funny about this pandemic, man. And, and we're going to cut some of this out for the, for, for the, for Instagram, but for you guys here that are listening in long form, I was terrified. At the very beginning, you know, for a couple months, three months. I mean, I was watching Rachel Maddow. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, of course, I was also watching like InfoWars just to see what kind of crazy shit they were saying. But it was like, it was a lot and it was stressful and being very extroverted and needing to be out and around people. Like I was, I struggled. I mean, I, our relationship struggled. Like we had a hard time and took it very seriously. And then as time went on and we realized just how many lies were being perpetuated and who was doing that, like there's just been this rapid I mean, not that I, I trusted institutions at all anyways, necessarily, but whatever little bit of trust I had left in institutions eroded, it eroded. And, and you know, I was railing against the FDA um, for just the way they handle our, our food in this country and the way that we, you know, 
prop up poverty foods like corn, soy, and wheat, and and don't invest in diverse agriculture and uh, regenerative agriculture and things that can really um, help when the climate, the landscape. I mean, this is like it's way bigger than just like oh, global warming. It's this is this is a big deal that adds longevity to our supply chains and makes us more resilient as a nation, and also makes us healthier as a nation. So that's the kind of things that I was getting into in college uh, when I was getting a health and fitness uh, management degree. So. You know, not that I used that a ton, but I did for about a decade, and that's where I started to kind of open my eyes to the to the fuckery and the corruption, which which led me down the road to ending up where I am now, and to see you know Rand Paul, who's someone I don't um, I don't agree with on everything, or I would even say the majority of things, but I can say that that generally speaking, I think he's a good faith actor. Now I've also railed against him for his uh, takes on getting our Afghani allies out of Afghanistan and the withdrawal. Um, he was against that. I thought that was atrocious, but that's all over now. So it is what it is. I think he's he's not really an interventionist in the way that many of our leaders are that are bought and paid for by companies like Lockheed Martin. So what I'm saying right now is that I would really love to see Rand Paul in a, in a, in a Republican primary. I think he's gained a lot of political capital through this. I think that he's shown some integrity in this. He's, he's, he's very steadfast and resilient in the way that he's handled this. And I appreciate and respect that. And I think many other people do as well. Will he, does he have the hype? Does he have all that bullshit that doesn't really fucking matter, but matters a lot in elections? I don't know. You know, I have some libertarian friends that like he just doesn't have, he doesn't capture hearts and minds in that way because he's so rational and pragmatic, but maybe given Trump uh, being super hyperbolic and inflammatory and divisive and just generally frustrating as fuck to everybody to where they even to the point where he lost and don't, don't, could you not come at me with this fucking election fraud bullshit? I'm fucking sick of it. I swear to God. I mean, if you, the people put these comments in my, in my, I just block them immediately. I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing this game. I have to go in there and like parent people that are debating about election frauds in my IGTV videos. I'm like, just both of you shut the fuck up before you both get blocked. And that's where I'm at with this. I'm so fucking sick and tired of it. But anyways, when you have somebody who lost to Joe Biden, right? There was clearly a cry for rationality, pragmatism, and just some sense of normalcy and, and some sense of shared reality. That's what a lot of it was. Did that work out? Absolutely not. It was a bet on the wrong fucking, on the wrong horse. And I get that. We're watching the Democratic Party crumble. People should be, the Republicans should be saying, thank you, Biden, instead of fuck you, Joe Biden, or, or whatever the fuck they say, like, um, uh, let's go Brandon, right? He's made it a layup, okay? Whoever the Republicans run in 2024 will win. They will win. So get someone in there that can actually accomplish something. Get someone in that actually represents what real conservatives and real working class conservatives and working class people in general need, want out of our governance. And I think somebody like Rand Paul can do that. I, the, the fact those words are coming out of my mouth blows my mind. But just in his interactions with Fauci, just in his way to hold people to account. And if I'm going to respect, if I'm going to, my respect goes to those who have the power to hold the powerful accountable. And I've seen Rand Paul do that. So he's gained a lot of respect from me in this past year or so, year and a half. And uh, I like to see where it goes. Maybe that's just me. Is he exciting? Is he hyperbolic? Is he going to be out there, to, you know, talking about small hands and big dicks and all this other fucking stupid shit that Trump did? Is he fucking porn stars? I don't know. I don't know, but he wasn't friends with Epstein. 
and he seems to have an iota of integrity, which is more than most politicians seem to have. So we'll see. But Fauci's hanging on by a thread, and that also brings a little bit of joy to my heart. Today's episode is brought to you by two companies that have the cojones to sponsor a podcast like this, which says a lot about them. And I think it says a little bit about me too. And it would say a lot about you if you would support these companies. So let's get into it. First off, we've got Cured Nutrition. Now, here's the thing. CBD is trendy. I think Joe Rogan has a CBD sponsor that no one cares about because he's on Spotify now. Listen, it's hard to get, it's harder than you think to get good CBD. Okay. And it's also really important to support in my opinion, this is my own personal opinion now because, you know, pro-working class, support local businesses, right? Businesses that are sourcing in the U.S., doing everything they can in the U.S. locally, and that is what Cured Nutrition does. One of the reasons I love this company, aside from the fact their products are bomb and their branding is beautiful. Right now, we've got pre-Black Friday sales. There's 20, 25% off a lot of products. The Rise and Zen Bundle is a great option if you're new to CBD or you want to try their stuff out. They've also got goodies for your dogs, CBD treats for your dogs. If your dog's a little bit anxious, one other thing I love is this cured hemp-infused salve. So I've been working out more now, trying to get this body back, um, you know, trying to get trying to get cut for the summer already. You know, I'm trying to, you got you to do it. You got to look good. You got to feel good. You know what I'm saying? So... My body's been a little sore. My knee, I got torn meniscus in my knee. My back's always a little bit wonky. I beat the shit out of my body, okay? I'm trying to run this thing down. I'm trying to slide into death sideways with a dented fender and a fucking transmission that's about to go out. That's what I'm trying to do. And to do that, I got to hold myself up, and this salve is really, really good. It soaks into your skin. It's got a little tingle to it. Opens those muscles up. If you got any joint pain, back pain, try it out. Now, what you can do is go to curednutrition.com, use promo code HOMELESS, you're going to get 10% off and free shipping. Again, crazy sales going on right now, 20% off some of their most, pro, uh, some of their most popular products. It, guys, it's good stuff. And they also mix in cordyceps, um, some different kind of mushrooms. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. It is really a really quality product. And I can sit here and like list off the ingredients. I'll probably do that on the next ad read. But what I wanted to do right now is really say I appreciate this company for their support. And I really actually love their products I've been taking. I took them away before I was actually sponsored, which was nice. Um, and knowing the people, the founder of this company lives his life in integrity. He's a great dude. He's got a great wife and a very, very gorgeous little tiny, like a tiny baby. You know, babies are already small. Their baby's like a smaller, small baby. So it's even cuter than like a normal baby. It's, it's, it's insane. And I don't know what that has to do with this ad at all. Besides the fact that it's just, they're just, they're just, they're just amazing people. Just the quality, quality people. And they make quality, quality products. So if you want to perform, you want to recover, you want to sleep, you want to feel good, you want to live good, go to curednutrition.com, use that promo code HOMELESS, and get yourself 10% off and free shipping. The stuff is good. Quality over quantity with this stuff, y'all. I mean, for somebody who worked for a supplement company once upon a time, I can tell you a lot of times, even when the company's like, we really appreciate our sourcing and respect, most of the time they're full of shit, and I can confirm that Cured Nutrition is absolutely not full of shit. CuredNutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS, link is in my show notes. Go down there, click it right now while you're listening to the show. Grab that Rise and Zen bundle. It's a great deal right now. Take advantage of that Black Friday stuff. And since they form this stuff in the U.S., you don't have to deal with as many crazy supply chain issues, so they actually have stuff in stock, which is why we should move more manufacturing to the United States. Jesus Christ. Anyways, curednutrition.com slash 
Homeless, our next sponsor, is another one of my favorite products in the world. I drank two of them today already, Element. Now, Element, drinkelement.com slash wanders, get you that variety pack for five bucks. And the variety pack is their most popular flavors. But just today, just today, they launched the mint chocolate. Now, the chocolate and the mint chocolate are supposed to be mixed with hot water. It's more of like a hot chocolate type of situation. Really good at curbing cravings at night. A lot of times when you think you're craving sweets, you actually want something salty. They very, they're very satiating and palatable in the same way. So if you're having trouble, you're trying like, you know, you put on that wintertime 10, 15 pounds, maybe you can grab yourself a mint chocolate element and try that instead just to get yourself uh, something in there that's sweet and tart and has a little bit of that kick, but is also warm and just thick. It's good, man. It's good. We tried it out today. It's, it's really, I'm impressed with it. I mean, with mint, mint chocolate and with no sugar and, and what they're trying to do there, it's like, oh, I don't know. I was, a little, I was a little iffy about it, but the shit's good. It is really, really good. Of course, watermelon's great. I drink that every day. Uh, the citrus is great. Lemon habanero is great. You can even make a little cocktail. And going into, you know, we got holiday parties coming up, assuming that you're allowed to gather with people wherever you live. Holiday parties coming up and stuff like that. It's a real hard time to like, Keep yourself in check. And I think one of the things you can do is replace your mixer with a really strong mix of lemon habanero. If you like tequila or vodka, lemon habanero is great with that. Um, you know, with summertime beverages, the the lemon habanero and watermelon mixed together is good with like a vodka situation. But when you're going to be out, you're going to be drinking, you're going to be with your family to tolerate your family. You're going to have to be on some kind of substance. Maybe it's better instead of going with like a rum and coke or something like that or someone with some sugar or whatever. Get something sugar free in there because you're already going to be, you know, you're going to indulge a little bit in all kinds of things. Replace that shit. Replace the hot chocolate with element mint chocolate or just the chocolate flavor. Maybe get that lemon habanero and make a little little wintertime uh, margarita situation. Do yourself a favor. I mean, we're getting into that time of the year, and it's nice to stay on track. It feels really good when you get through the holiday season. You're like, you know what? I didn't fuck up that bad. My pants still fit. It's good. I didn't spend too much money. You know, one of the best things about the supply crisis is that you're not going to be able to get very many gifts. So you can use that as an excuse to pay off some credit card debt or to do something responsible with your money instead of spending it on dumb bullshit. Okay? The only money you should be spending right now is on these two products that I just listed, Element and Cured Nutrition. Drink Element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Wanders. The link is in the show notes. Get that variety pack and definitely grab chocolate or mint chocolate, whichever one you like. I know people don't like mint chocolate for some reason. They crazy, but I get it. So the chocolate's out there for you too. Have something sweet, have something without sugar, magnesium, and other things that you need to hydrate you, things you're missing in your normal diet. Fulfill that gap with Element. DrinkElementT.com slash Wanders. Variety pack up. Now let's get back to the show. This woman, Bacha Sargon, she wrote a new book called Bad News. I cannot wait to get into it. And I wanted to play this interview she had here with Brian Stelter because she does call him out. She does call him out, and it's really it's an interesting conversation. Again, we're playing this full clip; it's about nine minutes long, um, and it's worth listening to because I think what you're seeing here is you're seeing this more and more. People are going onto Fox News, MSNBC, and calling them out to their fucking faces. And again, it's we're talking about holding people that are in power to account. These media personalities, for whatever reason, especially in election season, have a lot of power. Now, right now, they're getting about eighty thousand to a hundred thousand viewers in their key demographic, which is terrible. Terrible. I mean, they're, they're, again, holding on by a thread here. But I, I wanted to play this interview for everybody because it's something that could fly under the radar. Not a lot of people are seeing it. And I think it is worth checking out, especially because uh, uh, Bacha has this book coming out. And it could be worth a read for all of you guys. I'm going to be checking it out. We're gonna be t- maybe we'll be talking about it in the Patreon. 
but I really, um, I really think this is an interesting interview and, and we all know Brian Stelter is known as this kind of like egg-headed, pudgy, tattletale journalist, but it, it is fun to watch him squirm with someone in the studio, telling him the problem with him to his face. Let's check this out. Hogwash. Broke on woke. Woke nonsense. Woke policies. Stupid wokeness. <laughs> if I never hear the word again, it'll be too soon but there's actually a really interesting new book well, we about agree the on subject, that uh, that has just come out in the last few weeks it's called bad news how woke media is undermining democracy batya unger sargon is the author of the book she's the deputy opinion editor at newsweek uh, and she's here with me now to talk through it thanks for coming in Thank you so much for having me. It's very brave to have me on. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, like you said, the word woke, people are really allergic to it right now in the Mm. liberal circles and left-wing circles. That's why I want to define it, okay? Yeah, we should define the word. I want to put this out there, and I have a hard time not saying this. I don't want to objectify anybody or offend anyone. But if you are watching this video right now, if you get a chance to look at the video version of this, um, Botch is a low-key smoke show. And maybe that's why I like what she has to say. I don't know. I maybe have a little bit of cognitive bias there. But damn, girl, with that gray hair, dude, graceful aging is one of the most beautiful things on the planet. Let's continue. What is woke, first of all? Let me tell you how I define it, okay? It's not woke to agitate fiercely for police reform. That is a moral emergency. So when Senator Tim Scott wrote a bill advocating police reform, he was not being woke. That is something that all of us should be talking about. We desperately need police reform. It is not woke to be agitating for a more equitable education system. Hmm. It is woke to be calling for defunding the police. It is woke to be saying that, you know, merit-based education is somehow white supremacy. The word woke actually comes from sociologists, Brian. Hmm. It was appropriated after, you know, it originally was used as black slang in order to refer to things like systemic racism Hmm. at the state level. Again, something that it's very important that we talk about. But sociologists have... So, and also, I wanted the first time I ever heard the word woke, you had it in black culture, uh, talking about things like systemic racism and like being woke to that. Also, in spiritual communities, it was like being woke, being having been like having an awakening, having your spiritual awakening. You done you done enough ayahuasca to be woke. That was that. That's the way I, I learned that term, and many other people did as well. We've had discussions about this, but it's funny how now it's been co opted and completely turned into something different have noted something they call the great awakening. <laughs> and what they're, what they're talking about is that starting around 2015, and this is something that I'm sure that you and your viewers noticed, what we saw was white liberals starting to have more extreme views on race than yep. even people of color, the people of color that they're advocating on behalf of. They started to advocate for things like defund the police, as we saw recently. That is a view that is most closely held by highly affluent, highly educated liberal elites, while 81% of black Americans oppose defunding the police. So in my book, I'm trying to explore where did that come from? Where did this Mm. great awakening come from and why did it happen? And what I argue is that it is essentially affluent white liberals using the real pain of black Americans in order to withdraw from the common good and abandon the working class of all races. That's the argument. Jesus fucking Christ. That is one of the most poignant sentences I've ever heard spoken in my entire life. Wow. And you refer to the woke media right up front. So what is the who or what is the woke media? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, Brian. Are we on woke <laughs> media right now? No, again, let's rely on sociologists, okay? Hmm. These same sociologists 
trawled the archives of the New York Times, the Washington Post, even the Wall Street Journal, NPR, CNN. And what they found was starting around 2011, 2012, an absolute skyrocketing of the use of woke words like white privilege or marginalization or oppression. These, inter these, these companies started using these words when they went digital as a way of increasing their traffic. And it created this feedback loop with the affluent white readership that they were courting to where it shifted public opinion. Oh, you say it was trying to gain traffic. Maybe it would just try to cover America more accurately. That's, That's a really great question, right? Like, aren't they just covering a rise in racism? What we Not know just a rise in racism, but recognizing marginalized communities, taking the lives of all Americans seriously, and not just covering, you know, one subset that usually gets all the news attention. So, of course, it's extremely important that we cover marginalized communities. It is extremely important that we cover state-sponsored racism where it still exists. That is not what is happening. What we're seeing is a moral panic around race that has alienated the very communities that we are supposedly advocating on behalf of right oh my goodness dude i mean there's so many bombs in here this is just man what a powerful speaker i'm really impressed so again think about the difference between advocating for police reform covering issues of police reform and advocating for defunding the police right which is a, a, a view that is going to harm poor black communities more than anybody yep. else right yep. which is precisely why it's the one that is the most popular well and it went down in minneapolis right where we're not seeing actual public support for well defund the police is a terrible slogan but for the uh, proposals behind that slogan we're not actually seeing public support for it exactly right? that's exactly right uh what about the woke stranglehold that you describe in the book you say the media is in this woke stranglehold so again what 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 corners of the media and how do you get out of that stranglehold it's a great question. So, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time on the New York Times in my book because mm. as a, you know, as the former paper of record, as I like to say, um, they get outsized attention because they have an outsized responsibility as a leader in the industry. Um, and what we really saw in, in the New York Times is again and again, personnel decisions being made to suit um, the very, very woke pressures of online mobs that were in, oftentimes created by their own employees. So, and okay, that so has a liberal employee, younger liberal employees pressuring management to take certain actions, right? Is that what that means? Exactly. Right. Yeah. But don't we also see that these staffers, they're just, they're trying to push for a place they believe will be a more perfect newsroom, a more perfect union, a more perfect opinion page. Isn't that just, that's just a common tug of war. Well, and I, wanna, I don't think she says this, but I think if, if your definition of more perfect is everybody having the same opinion as you, well, that's not what that means. I mean, you're, you're just co-opting. You're saying, well, I, I want it to be better. And if better to you is complete adherence to your ideology, that doesn't really hold up. That happens. It's happened for decades. Well, what we're really seeing is that it has influenced the coverage, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that some people want to have their say. It's that they literally have imported these highly, highly spe specialized, radical academic ideas. And if you don't hew to these very radical, specific elite ideas, you get thrown out, essentially. We're not talking about debate here. We're talking about the silencing of debate. Now, how do you think all this applies to the election results? Uh, we know in Virginia, the Republican being the Democrat. We know in, in New Jersey, the Democrat barely prevailing over the Republican. How does how does what you're describing as bad news, uh, how did it shape election results on Tuesday? 
So my, I felt that uh, Tuesday was a really good uh, advertisement for my book because my book is arguing <laughs> that a lot of this conversation around wokeness is actually about class. Hmm. We are hiding a class divide in America. We are hiding the just disgusting levels of income inequality in America. We are hiding the total dispossession of the working class of all races by focusing on a very highly specialized academic language around race. Hmm. And I, I think what happened, you know, Glenn Youngkin's victory was a perfect example of this. The media's response to Youngkin's victory is literally the reason that he won, right? How did oh, they respond? There's a hundred media's, a hundred reactions. You're you're being pretty overly generalizing, I think. Let me, let me get more specific okay. for you, okay? Because right. I, I have to say, I have to admit, having watched CNN all week, there's been a lot of very, very, very good genuflection on this front. Um, but what happened right after the election was you saw host after host after host on MSNBC saying, oh, this is a victory for white supremacy, right? White supremacy wins again. Race Racism wins again when, you know, the lieutenant governor that Youngkin won with will be the first black woman to hold that job. When Glenn Youngkin managed to flip majority black districts, when he managed to get between 40 and 50 percent of Latino voters, are all of those people white supremacists? Of course they're not. They're people who are worried about, number one, the economy, right? And number two, schooling. And it seems to me it is such a self-own to tell people who are worried about the economy that that is white supremacy, right? Mm. You are essentially criminalizing the views of working class Americans. And you saw the same thing with the conversation around critical race theory, right? You saw all of these pundits being like, these people don't know what critical race theory is. That is not um, a political statement. That is a class statement. Oh, they are not educated God, damn, enough good. to be opposed to critical race theory. How dare they oppose it? So this gets to your point of your book about uh, journalists, you know, certainly above average college degrees, having above average levels of education. Now, you know, in order to send in a resume at a lot of newsrooms, you've got to have a college degree. But you suggest in, in your book that affects the news coverage. It hurts the news coverage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not, we've seen this. This is a lot of what the book is about, but you can trace the abandonment of the working mm. class in direct proportion to the number of journalists who are no longer working class, who are part of the educated elites. Brian, do you know how many uh, how many journalists today, what percentage of American journalists have a college degree today? I think 90 percent. 92 percent. I read your exactly book. exactly right. I'm very shocked and very, very pleased. You shouldn't Thank be you. so shocked. <laughs> you shouldn't be so shocked. Where I think, what I hope um, people take away is what you said about inequality. Yeah. about the class divide, yeah. because it, it, it permeates through everything we're talking about, whether it's about media totally. or politics or the election results. Um, Be a part of the in. solution, thank you, you so fuck. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right. So anyways, as you guys have, can tell by now, I'm, I'm pretty mesmerized by Bacha, but you, this is this is why people think this is it's a it's a class divide. And that, having it articulated in that way, I thought was really beautiful because it's like, oh, you're so you're, you working class people that are worried about the economy and your kids being able to go to school. Um, you're you're too dumb to understand what critical race theory really is. Well, maybe you're too dumb to 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 be able to articulate it in a way that people can understand because you want to use your highbrow language and you want to be self righteous and you really enjoy looking down on people because you're a narcissistic fuck and that's what we're looking at here and people have that's where the resentment for the liberal elites come from and it I don't know what's going to snap him out of it, but the same thing. If you read the book Hate Inc., which is another great book, Matt Taibbi's book, he talks about his dad was a journalist, and there was time where local journalists covered local news, and they weren't always college educated. And they had they come from they were actually the journalism career was a working class job that reflected working class values, and we can see how much that has changed. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm I'm pretty uh, adamantly 
committed to the working class. And I think that that's a part of the, that that's been overlooked. That's a, that's a vital part of our country that's been overlooked. And I think one of the most patriotic things we can do is support the working class from blue collar to white collar, but the working class people that are in there holding everything together. We've seen them become essential workers and then get shit on yet again. And I won't stand for it. I really won't. That's one of the reasons I do what I do. And I hope that's one of the reasons that you're here. But when we have people like this speaking truth and having a little bit of gold on CNN, which is so rare, have to share it with you. And I hope that you took something away from it. Aaron motherfucking Rogers. Now I will say I've been an Aaron Rogers fan when Aaron Rodgers and the whole Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers thing happened. That was like when I still cared about football. I don't watch football anymore. I'm not a sports guy. I watched football to kind of like cope with my own leaving football in, in college and this whole thing. And it was kind of, it was fun. It was a play thing for me to do, to go to the bar on Saturdays, hang out, do some gambling. I enjoy football and I really, um, I love, I've loved Aaron Rodgers since, since he, for, I've been, a, I was a Packers fan. I was a Cowboys fan first and a Packers fan. So I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm a little bit, I'm not a fan boy, but, uh, I appreciate and respect the guy a lot. And <laughs> that has been, um, doubled at least in the past week or so after he got diagnosed with COVID and watching the Attacks, but not only watching the attacks, but how he handled himself. So let's just watch what um, M- uh, NBC News here had to say in this little clip of a little breakdown of what's going on there. This just came out actually yesterday. So it's kind of an update on where we're at with that. And then we'll discuss a little further, maybe dive into another article from M- NBC and just see what the, the narrative they're constructing about Aaron Rodgers is. And we'll go from there. Aaron Rodgers' Halloween plans coming back to haunt him as the NFL issued a nearly $15,000 fine for attending this party while unvaccinated. The league also hitting the Packers with a $300,000 penalty for failing to strictly enforce COVID protocols. Rodgers made the league's case for them, saying the Packers knew he wasn't vaccinated while breaking NFL policy. Everyone in the squad knew I was not vaccinated. Everyone in the organization knew I wasn't vaccinated. The NFL telling NBC News, there's no argument Aaron Rodgers should have been wearing a mask at press conferences. That's what it's about. The league spent the last week reviewing potential violations, but Rodgers appeared apathetic. Some of the rules to me are not based in science at all. They're They're based purely in trying to out and shame people, like needing to wear a mask. Uh, at a podium when every person in the room is vaccinated and wearing a mask makes no sense to me. Slammed by the sports world over a misleading answer to this question. Are you vaccinated and what's your stance on, on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. The court of- That's the only thing that I think he did wrong here. That would be really clear. It's like, yeah, that was misleading. That was clearly misleading. I get it. I get what you're, you're just trying to de- not deal with the media storm because you're a fucking ball player and you're supposed to be playing ball, not dealing with some culture war nonsense. And we've seen how distracting that has been in the NFL. So yeah, I get why I did it. I would have done the same thing, but technically morally or whatever, whatever you want to say, that wasn't the right move. Back backpedaled Tuesday to take responsibility. And I do realize that I am a role model to a lot of people. And so I just wanted to start off this show by acknowledging that, you know, I made some comments that, that people might've uh, felt were misleading. And, uh, you know, to anybody who felt misled by those comments, I take full responsibility for those comments. Critics are now pointing out that Rogers' fine for a violation that potentially affects players' health seems small. Dallas Cowboys wide receiver C.D. Lamb got $20,000 in fines for having an untucked jersey. 
NBA Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar also speaking out on the issue, comparing Rogers' treatment to Colin Kaepernick's, who hasn't played in the NFL since his kneeling protest. This is such a false equivalency. It's such a false equivalency. First off, Kaepernick uh, kneeling for the national anthem wasn't a big deal to me. I couldn't give two fucks less. It was a peaceful protest. Don't give a shit. I just don't, okay? Now, he's kind of a troublemaker. He's not that great of a quarterback. It is what it is. That happens all the time. You come in, you do okay for a few years, you get out, okay? It is, it, and that's just how it goes, all right? Now he's got his. He's doing fine. So I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, well, Colin Kaepernick is mistreated. He got a Nike deal. He's got a Netflix deal. He's doing fine. So, so to sit here and see like, oh, well, he was so mistreated by the NFL – that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't mind that he has... I don't, I'm not going to sit here. I, I thought about doing a segment on his Netflix documentary. I don't care. Like, I just... I, like, do your thing, dude. If you want to, like... That's how you want to elevate black voices, be my guest. I just... Uh, giving a shit is energy. I, I, I have only so many fucks to give, and I don't really feel like giving a fuck to that. Okay? I have them to give to something else. Literally anything else. I'd rather play Xbox than give a shit about what Colin Kaepernick is up to. All right? So to make that false, that's just a bad faith argument. And I don't know where, like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar gets off being a fucking vaccine expert. And then you're like, well, Joe Rogan's not a doctor. I think that uh, Joe Rogan's had longer longer conversations with doctor than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I also, you know what? We'll keep going. Let's just finish this up. Test in 2016. What Colin Kaepernick did was make a peaceful protest. Uh, at the beginning of uh, an NFL game, he he did not endanger anyone's life. What Aaron Rodgers did Aaron is, Rodgers. is totally beyond the pale. It's shameful what he did. Rodgers hopes to return to action this Sunday, but first we'll need to test negative in order to play. The NFL threatening stiffer consequences if there are more violations. Maura Barrett, NBC News, Chicago. You know what you want to do if you want to be a loudmouth and. Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be a loudmouth, but he's standing up for himself. If you want to be a loudmouth in sports, you go fucking win. You know why LeBron James can be a fucking loudmouth? Because he wins. You want When Terrell Owens was a good receiver, he could be a loudmouth because he wins. But when you don't win, when you're not winning, then you got to shut the fuck up or else you're just a liability. It's not that complicated. It is not that complicated. You have a job to do. If you are essential, you can say... Whatever you want. But the outrage about this, when somebody, some other NFL player was driving 150 miles an hour, fucked up, and killed someone, and I, don't, I didn't even hear about that. Didn't even hear about it. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't wear a mask at a press conference where everybody in the room is vaccinated, aside from the couple people on the podium. And it's, by the way, those journalists are getting treated to Aaron Rodgers' commentary. Okay? He doesn't owe them a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? So let me go over to here and let's just see what else NBC has to say. Now, this is an opinion article here. It says, Aaron Rodgers should keep Martin Luther King Jr. out of his foolish COVID claims. So someone who would stand up for civil liberties. is If you're white, you're not allowed to be inspired by any quotes of Martin Luther King because that's oh, uh, white, white supremacy or, or something. <sighs> Insane. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And, and, and I didn't want to bring this up too much because this is some cultural war stuff, but I wanted to bring something up that I thought was, I mean, of all this, right? We see this. People get, get villainized for being unvaccinated. They go on this channel, that channel, do the thing. Aaron Rodgers said something to the effect of this. The right is going to champion me and the left is going to villainize me. I don't give a shit about either one of them. They can both go fuck themselves. So what I'm saying right now is it seems a lot to me like Aaron Rodgers is politically homeless. And I love it. Because he could have gone on Tucker Carlson and got a fucking hand job 
for 30 minutes, right? Or he could have gone on to Rachel Maddow and gotten bitched at for half an hour, right? He could have done either one of those things and defended himself into this thing and made a whole show of it. All the dude wants to do is play ball. He wants to be able to make his own decisions for his life and play ball. And really, at the end of the day, he just wants to be left the fuck alone. He just wants to be left alone. And then there was, then of course, because he talks to Joe Rogan. And the funny thing is, Joe Rogan, even though he's not a professional athlete, is an athlete. He has, has the fitness of an athlete, trains like an athlete. Joe Rogan got COVID. He's also older than Aaron. Okay? He had a certain protocol. Two days after getting COVID test negative. In the gym a few days after, after testing positive. Back to work. Why would a professional athlete whose job is to perform not reach out to someone who recovered in two days, right? And was back in the gym in four or five, whatever it was, to say, hey, man, what did you do? What seemed like it worked? And how did you get back to, back to training so fast? That seems like a very reasonable thing to do. Let's also keep in mind that both of these dudes are rich as fuck. And to think that Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan don't have the best doctors that money can buy is beyond comical it's insane so like well these guys aren't doctors i'm pretty sure that they can afford the good ones you know what i'm saying i'm pretty sure they can handle it now maybe if you're a normal working class person you got to be around a lot of people you're doing this thing maybe the right thing for you to do is to get vaccinated because you don't have access to the same kind of people that rogan and aaron Rodgers do right we're not, and that's part of America, right? We're on the same playing field. We have different access to different things. And when the therapeutic, like, monoclonal antibodies and the fact that both of these guys are high-level athletes, right, with great lung capacity, super healthy lungs that take care of themselves, they actually cared about their health far before uh, or 2020 or 2019. They were, they, were, they were okay before that, like many of us who spent the last decade or so, like, really working on our health and trying to stay healthy, so we're like, hey, well, you know, when there's a great therapeutic like monoclonal antibodies, it seems to do a great job. Well, I mean, it is what it is, right? Like, what are we doing here? And these guys have amazing doctors and amazing staff around them to consult with, more than what most people have access to. So what's the problem here? What is the problem? It's not about anything but a show of virtue. That's it. That is it. So what I love, my favorite thing about this one is just the clear and present just bias from one side of the media spectrum and the other side's willingness to just fawn over anybody who, 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 who represents one part of their issue, even though he couldn't give a fuck less. My, the, my, the, the thing that I respect Aaron for the most in this is telling both sides to fuck off because that's exactly what they deserve. That is exactly what they deserve. So props to Aaron Rodgers. Had to bring that up. More respect for that guy right now than ever. Keep doing what you're doing and don't drink the fucking Kool-Aid. Don't buy the bullshit. Stay out of this culture war. Get back to work and win some fucking games. Now y'all, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Jordan Peterson fan. Now here's a couple reasons why. I'm going to give you the play, the play-by-play of why I appreciate Jordan Peterson so much. And I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it right now. So, um... I love 12 Rules for Life. I, when Jordan Peterson first came to my attention, uh, I was, it was just about like trans pronouns, and I was like, this is kind of dumb. I don't really care about this. But then I got into his actual work, right? When I, when I saw through the early culture war stuff and saw his actual work, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Archetypes and narrative structures and how that applies to religion and, and life and how you can do these different things. And then 12 Rules for Life came out. I thought that was a great book, and it really was able to take a few things away. And the way that he was able to reduce these really complex 
concepts down into things that were digestible and I was able to recommend it to my clients back in the day and do these different things like has had a big impact on my life but even bigger and I say that probably the biggest impact Jordan has had on my life is not actually with me directly but with my dad so when my dad was uh in prison he was in prison for six or seven years um I think it was about six actually he was getting into reading and he, we talked about this once he got out uh, last Christmas it was the first time I'd seen him in a long time um he talked about how he and about he said about 10% of guys that were locked up federal prison, right? About 10% of guys wanted to do everything they could to add the number of years they spent locked up to the to their life as far as far as quality years, be able to spend them with their family. Most guys are just in there becoming better criminals and doing the same shit they were doing on the outside and just waiting to get out to go get, be in that vicious cycle. But a handful of guys in there really wanted to to make their lives better and and seeing someone who came and struggled with the things that he struggled with and, and seeing how someone like Jordan and he was reading 12 rules for life and Jordan Peterson stuff and Mark Manson stuff and just like became a reader. Now he like intermittent fast and is super healthy and one meal a day and is clean. And just like, I mean, I think he's, he's living some of the best years of his life right now. I'm just incredibly proud of the man. Like I, I can't, I bring it up on the show every now and then and I don't try to talk about personal life too much here, but it means a lot to me. And I think uh, Jordan is somebody who's been through, um, some rough patches. I think he, he, he wasn't addicted to, um, to was it an Oxycontin? What was it? Percocets, whatever it was. He had that a chemical dependency, which is different than addiction. Um, he had a chemical dependency. He was, had to be in a chemical into his coma for a while. Like he's been through some shit and, and he, he's, he's pretty open about battling with depression. I think that's why he, he resonates with, with young men so much, uh, because of that struggle. And I think that there's some really amazing things that he can, um, put out there. So I, again, have a lot of respect for the man, and uh, the impact he's had on my life. I mean, I would love to just be able to have that conversation with him one day because um, his work really means a lot to me. And, and what, again, like what he's done for my dad and how my dad can be there for his grandkids, uh, my nephews and, and my kids, whenever those come around, like it, it really does, it really does mean a lot to me. Um, so when I saw this, <laughs> this video pop up, it really, uh, really struck me because you can see how fucking pissed he is. And this is from the Rubin Report. I don't like Dave Rubin. We're not going to play any of his stuff, but we're going to play what Jordan says here at the front end just because I think he echoes a sentiment that many people um, share, many of you listening share, uh, that I share. Uh, even though I'm not vaccinated, he is. And being in Canada, he's dealing with a lot, a lot tougher restrictions and, and, and fuckery than we're dealing with here in the U.S. So let's just get into this real quick. You know, Canadians who aren't vaccinated now cannot leave the country. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Why, why is that? And I'm, look, I got vaccinated. And people took me to task for that. And I thought, all right, I'll get the damn vaccine. Here's the deal, guys. I'll get the vaccine. You fucking leave me alone. And did that work? No. So stupid me. You know, that's how I feel about it. It's like, well, now I have to get tested for COVID when I come back into Canada. I have to get tested before I leave Canada. Now, you know, that might be the latter issue. That's an issue with the Americans. And, and so that's outside of the Canadian purview. But the restrictions to get back into Canada are even more stringent. It's like, well, why to get the vaccine then if you're not going to leave me alone? And I don't think the evidence that unvaccinated or that vaccinated people are less contagious, let's say, I don't think it's very compelling. Yeah. So why are the vaccinated all of a sudden, the unvaccinated all of a sudden a danger? <laughs> Yeah, it's not that compelling, Jordan. And you're absolutely right. And many people feel that. And I wanted to share that with you guys just because 
It's funny because Jordan gets, he's a passionate guy. But you don't see him angry that often. He's been pressed and, and misrepresented to his face so many times. I've never seen him pissed like that. And I've watched hours and hours of Jordan Peterson stuff. I've never seen him pissed like that. And so many of us feel that way. And I wanted to wrap up the state of things. Just showing that. Showing the way they're pushing. People are reaching a fucking breaking point. And, I mean, people are going to reap what they sow. People in power are going to reap what they sow in a really strange way. And I'm not looking forward to it. It's going to be messy. It's going to be dark. It's dark now, though. And we can do better, but this is where we're at. And now it's time for that beautiful part of the show where I give you something to think about. often now that we hear the word normalize normalize this normalize that normalize speaking up for your mental health (laughs) oh but you know what you know what i like to normalize i would like to normalize saying this series of words i don't give a fuck I don't give a fuck. I don't care is also another way to say that if you're a little more uh, prudent. We're expected to give a shit about everything that's going on. About this over there and that over there. Things that don't impact our life one iota. One little bit. Not at all. We're expected to care. Now there are things that may not impact your life that you should care about. There's a handful of those things. But as sure as shit isn't everything. As sure as shit isn't everything right i mean as a country we pay for gender studies in in other countries should we give a fuck culturally should we give a fuck is that our responsibility am i a nationalist for saying that am i a white supremacist i don't know i don't know but what i would like to do what i would like to think of, for you to think about is how can we create a world or when someone tries to bait you into some bullshit that doesn't matter, all you've got to say is, I don't give a fuck. You only got so many fucks to give, man. You've only got so many fucks to give. I've been saying this for years and years. And maybe you can do some uh, self-development practices and be able to give more fucks if you really need to. Right, if you need to to, to increase the abundance of fucks that exist within you that you can then give. But even then, I think you should be stingy with them. Have some discernment about where your fucks go. And one of the best ways that I think we can do that is normalizing saying to someone's face when they try to get you into some culture war bullshit that you don't care about, when they try to get you into, just rope you into something that's going to trigger you or piss you off or any of that stuff, all you got to do is look them in the fucking face. Look them in the face hard. Strong, with a strong eye. Serious. Say, listen, buster. I don't give a fuck. And you know what will happen next time they try to pull you into some nonsense? They'll think twice. Because you were honest. You didn't pretend. 
you didn't pretend. It's like, oh man, did you hear about that microaggression the other day? I don't give a fuck. That's all you got to say. Cut somebody off. When you know it's coming, hit them with it. Hit them with it. Do it. Abundantly. See how it feels. See how it feels inside your chest. Just say it. Say it with me right now. Everybody out there, in your car, wherever you're at, say it with me. Say it loud. Say it proud. I don't give a fuck. That'll make the world a better place. I love you guys. A little heated today. It's been a long week. But I'm glad to get this out to you. Make sure to support our sponsors and find us on the Patreon. And don't give any fucks you don't have to. Keep your head on straight and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.